seeing be reading Psalm uh, 8. It's now to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for, again, for your word and for this truth that your word is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage, as we consider this topic this evening, we just pray, Lord, that you would again give us understanding by the power of your Spirit and that your word would be truly fruitful in our hearts and that you would now be with us and bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, governments around the world are taking extreme measures to combat one of the greatest threats known to mankind. Measures so extreme that they're even willing to cripple their own economies and, and uh, place hardships upon their own people in order to stop this threat. And what, of course, makes matters worse is that the impending doom is all the fault of mankind and certainly could have been prevented if the world didn't eagerly embrace the corruption known as capitalism. And if we would simply reject capitalism and embrace socialism, that is also known as godless communism, well, then we could truly save the world from disaster. Well, this, of course, is what many global elites, what the media and leftist academics would have us believe regarding the dangers of global warming and climate change. But clearly, in this case, the proposed solution is much worse than the problem, if there really is a problem. Now, it's certainly possible that the Earth's temperatures are getting warmer, even as they have at different times throughout the history of the Earth, fluctuating between periods of warming and cooling. It's also possible that the earth is getting warmer because of God's impending judgment in which he is preparing the earth to be consumed with fervent heat. But when the layers are peeled back in this alarmist movement, we find undercurrents of environmentalism, a movement that in essence worships and serves the creature and the creation rather than the creator, as Paul warns us about in Romans chapter 1. It's a movement based in idolatry and the acknowledgement uh, and the rejection of the, of the acknowledgement of the one true living God. But as much as Christians should be wary of this movement and their alarmism, 
there's one thing that they get sort of right. We should be good stewards and caretakers of the creation which God has blessed us with. And we can do that without forsaking God and without worshiping the creation. And we see this in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 begins with the name of the Lord being exalted because He is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. The splendor of God's glory is shown in the creation all around us. His awesome power to create is evident in the sea and the wind and the landscapes and His wisdom is on display in the variety of creatures that fill the earth. He has so clearly revealed Himself so that not only the created world itself, but even infants and young children call out to Him in praise. And what's even more amazing, as we see in this psalm, that above, that above all this the Lord has created, He has been pleased to place the unique creature He created after His own image, mankind. God has been pleased to place man above all this to exercise dominion. And part of that dominion is being a caretaker of all that God has created so that all might be used for the good of man and for the glory of God. And it's this role of caretaker uh, over creation that we're considering this evening. Now the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 4, reminds us that God created all things for His glory by the word of His power, and that God created mankind as a special creature in His own image. But what is man's relationship to the created world around him? Well, in our Reformed Presbyterian testimony, it addresses this relationship between mankind and the creation, stating in uh, chapter 4, paragraph 7, that God made man ruler over His creation in a covenant relationship with Himself in order to glorify His name. And so we see this uh, by this, at first the rule or dominion over all the creation has been granted to mankind. This dominion, of course, was given by God at the time of man's creation. We see this in Genesis 1, <coughs> in what we often refer to as the cultural mandate. Uh, beginning, we'll back up just uh, Genesis 1 verse 26. Let, this, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and, every, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so that is the the uh, mandate that God gave to uh, Adam uh, at the very beginning. Well, this is also echoed here in in Psalm eight as well, in verses five and six. We see, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the work of your hands. So mankind was created as God's special creature to rule over His creation. And indeed, Adam exercised this dominion initially when he uh, named all the creatures in Genesis 2. And I think we we may have looked at that a couple weeks ago. And basically by naming creatures, if you're able to name something, well, then it means that you 
have some kind of authority over those things which you name. Right? Not anybody can just name something. You, if you name something, you have some kind of authority over it. And that's exactly what uh, Adam was demonstrating when he was naming the creatures. But we also see here the purpose of this delegation of authority is, of course, to glorify God. Mankind glorifies God when he fulfills this cultural mandate and exercises dominion over the creation, even as God exercises dominion over all things, including mankind. But there's also a context to this delegation, and it takes place in a covenant relationship. And this implies that man's role as vice-regent over the creation was connected to God's covenant with him, and in this case, it was the covenant of works. This dominion would be a, a blessing and would fully uh, glorify God only while the terms of the covenant are kept. If the covenant is broken, then man can lose his place of authority and the blessing of God would become a curse. Well, this leads to a certain qualification then. As ruler, man was not created to be his own lawmaker, but is subject to the covenant. That is, though mankind was ruler over the creation, he wasn't the boss. There's an authority over him, again, as evidenced by the covenant that God made with Adam. Mankind couldn't create his own rules. He must follow God's rules. And if he violates God's rules and creates his own, well, then the covenant is violated and his dominion is at risk. But creating his own rule and violating God's covenant is exactly what Adam did in the garden when he fell into sin. The sin of Adam and Eve brought a modification then to God's call for mankind to have dominion. Man is still called to fulfill the mandate, but there are some changes. First, the creation will not willingly submit to mankind's rule, but will do all that it can to resist and rebel against him. And we see this in the curses that God lays out uh, after the fall, uh, especially directed toward Adam. In Genesis 3.17, the Lord says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. With thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so even the very ground was cursed and would not yield its fruit without much toil and effort on the part of man. And of course after the flood... We see uh, God giving dominion to Noah and his sons. But again, there's an evident change. The blessing is lacking its fullness because instead of harmony in the creation, it will be ruled by fear. Again, Genesis 9, verses 1 and 2, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right. So that's similar to what God had initially said to Adam. But... There is this added. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all that the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. So we see two things here. First, 
the charge to exercise dominion continues. But whereas before the fall, Adam lived with the creatures in harmony, and they easily came to him, again, as evidenced by him naming them, well, now there is great fear. Fear between man and beast. So that creatures will run from mankind, and mankind, of course, depending on the creature, may run in fear from the creature. The relationship between man and beast then has become cursed. And we also see this, uh, see this in the, that man will now use the creatures as food, and in some cases, of course, vice versa. Whereas before the fall, both man and beast ate of every green herb and fruit. <coughs> and so there becomes this evident change in this kind of cultural mandate which God had given. A part of the curse also involved man being given to abusing his authority and misusing the creation and the creatures for his own selfish gain rather than for the necessity of survival and the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. In other words, man would be prone to being a very poor caretaker of the creation God had entrusted to him. So this harmony that once prevailed and the fullness of the blessing is not going to be restored, though, until the consummation of all things, as we'll see. But we do get to enjoy a glimpse of it through Jesus Christ. That is because, though prone uh, to being poor caretakers, in God's common grace, mankind generally cares for the created world because he knows that his own life is sustained from it. And this becomes even more so for the believer in Christ. Through Christ's redemptive reign over all things, the gracious purposes of God for the whole creation are being accomplished through men, even though man is sinful. Indeed, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, that Christ reigns to subdue all things for the benefit of his people, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So by the grace of God, The purpose of mankind to have dominion over the creation is being restored ultimately through the mediatorial kingship of Jesus Christ. And of course this does bring glory to God, although it won't be perfected until Christ returns. And so in exercising this duty, mankind, even though he's sinful, still has the responsibility though to be a good steward of the creation. Therefore he should treat his resources of material wealth, environment, health, energy, and talents as gifts of God for which he must give an account. And again, that comes from the RP testimony. First, as a steward or caretaker of the creation, we must be faithful. Faithful to carry out the mandate, faithful to care for what God has entrusted us, and faithful to do it for the glory of God. We also, uh, secondly, all the resources... Uh, that we find in, in the earth, should be considered as gifts of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, um, As each one has received a gift, <clears throat> minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so we should take due care of the gifts that God has given us. And of course, when applied to the created world around us, It means that we should always be thankful for what the Lord has provided for us, and we should be careful to use those resources wisely. Crude oil, as an example. Crude oil is a gift. 
It's a gift that God has given to us and it's found deep within the earth. And so we should then use it because God gave it to us so that we might use this. And he's given us the technology to be able to uh, use it uh, efficiently. But again, so we need to be wise, though, in our use of this resource. We need to take measures that it continues to provide for us even for many generations. And thirdly, we will also have to give an account for our use of such gifts. In other words, God will call us account. How did you use the gifts that I have given you? Did you consume them gluttonously? Or were you thankful for them? And did you make wise use of them for your good and for my glory? Again, we remember that exercising our duty over the creation by taking care of it doesn't mean that we're to exalt the creation above mankind or above the Creator. And of course, this is where the modern environmental movement goes astray. God has given us the creation as a gift uh, to use for His glory. Even the plants and the animals are given to mankind for food. Again, this becomes another change after the fall. In Genesis 9, <clears throat> the Lord says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And so vegetarianism, though a, a valid choice, is certainly not a biblical mandate. You can certainly have your steak and you can eat it too. Just make sure it's cooked. <laughs> well, this also means that the resources of the earth are at our disposal. And so again, water and coal and oil, even the wind. God has graciously allowed mankind to advance in technology. In technology and it's important that we use the technology to uh, secondarily improve our lives, but primarily to glorify God as we use those, res those resources the Lord has given. But of course, with such, great and wonderful, with such a great and wonderful gift comes great responsibility. Again, the testimony in uh, chapter 4, paragraph 9 says, We reject any view of man's relationship to his environment, which either leads to his irresponsible exploitation of, or denies his proper dominion over the earth. So not only does this reject abuse of the environment, but it also rejects the extreme environmentalism that we see today. And so industry, whether factories or farms, must then be diligent to make proper use of the environment. Unfortunately, oftentimes environmental stewardship is overcome by greed. And this was especially evident in the industrial era of the, the 19th, uh, early, late 19th and early 20th centuries where... Uh, the care of the environment was low on the priority list, but certainly making more money was the chief end of business. And this even showed itself in the push for higher and higher production that, that put the health and safety of the worker at risk. Well, these are all irresponsible uses of the environment. The environment isn't being subdued for man's use in God's glory, but it was being used for merely the gain, the uh, monetary gain of a few. And even today, in our more environmentally conscious world, there's still great abuse and misuse of the environment. But again, we remember that God gave us the environment and the earth to use. And so, there again, there must be a balance. 
We must be good con- uh, conscientious caretakers, but we must not go to the extent that the extreme environmentalists take. And so God has given us these things. We must use them, but we must be careful in how we use them. For example, God, again, has placed within the earth vast amounts of oil that is used all over the earth in various forms. And we should then take great care that we don't disrupt the environment more than is necessary when we're trying to extract that oil. We need to uh, use utmost care. Now certainly should we pursue other sources of fuel than oil for consumption? Well, absolutely. We can use these other uh, sources that God has given, the other gifts that God has given. And that is being responsible. That's being having a balanced biblical approach to how we are to be caretakers of the environment. We use what we have been given, but we take care in how we use it. And we continue to explore what other resources God has given. And that is a very simple energy policy. But we must remember that taking care of the environment is not an end in itself. Again, this is where the environmental movement goes astray. They exalt the creature and the creation so that Mother Earth becomes an authority to be worshipped instead of God the Creator. Many environmentalists would take their philosophy to the logical end. It would mean that they would really have to eradicate themselves and all people in order for the Earth to be safe. And there certainly would be people who would advocate that very thing. Well, that, of course, would be foolishness. And we even see the evolutionary influence in the environmental movement of animal life being placed on an equal plane or even above human life. Right? It's always interesting and ironic that many environmentalists want to save the baby seals, but they want to discard the baby humans in the womb. There are even some radical groups that would take extreme measures of blowing up buildings uh, in order to promote their cause. And of course when they do that, not only are they oftentimes taking human life, but ironically, they're creating an environmental disaster when they do so. But again, each of us as Christians could certainly seek to be more environmentally conscious in what we do. Even in small ways, this is responsible stewardship. But we must keep the perspective that it's for the glory of God and for man's benefit and not for the exaltation of the creature or the creation. We acknowledge that the whole creation now groans because of man's sin, but it along with man will be delivered from corruption at the consummation of all things. And this is essentially what Paul says in Romans 8. The effect of man's sin are evident on the creation. There has been much, much, much abuse both, uh, in both ways, both in being poor stewards and neglecting the precious gift that God has given and then also exalting the creation above the Creator. But thankfully, we do look forward to a time when these abuses will pass and the blessings of dominion that God intended would fully be restored to mankind through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we should then be mindful of these things. We were created for dominion over the creation. And that we must glorify God when we carry out that dominion mandate. But only if we do it for the ultimate purpose of glorifying God, 
who has so richly and abundantly blessed us with the gift of this created world that is all around us. A creation that testifies even to us that God alone, that to God alone belongs all the glory. And so in this, we are called to be faithful caretakers of the created world around us. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your blessing upon us. We thank you for this reminder that we were created for a purpose, ultimately that purpose to glorify you, but you have called us to be caretakers and stewards of the created world. And we know that sin has greatly affected how we carry that out and that there is great abuse of what you have given to us and that we will even uh, because of a sinfulness sinful man will even worship and serve the creation and the create the creature rather than you the creator and lord we reject all these because your word tells us that you alone are to be worshiped you are the one true living god and that we ought to acknowledge the creator and worship the Creator rather than the creature. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful witnesses, even in this realm, that we would be mindful of the creation around us, that we would make use of it, that we would be wise and good stewards of what you have given, that we would be willing to call out those abuses that we see all around us, and that as we use these gifts which you have given, that we would use them not for our own selfish gain, but that we would use them for your glory and for your honor and your praise, even as we would do in all things. And so we just praise you and thank you, Lord, for this <clears throat> reminder. And we just pray that you would now uh, continue to watch over us and bless us, even as we <clears throat> go about our usual activities and duties this week. We pray that you would continue to lead us at truly all that we do, would be for your glory and honor. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.